Not, I wouldn't say that it's a stretch at all. I mean, like fundamentally changed how I view the world. I purely view the world in terms of like Greek participles. Greek participles. <laughs> okay, that needs explanation. <laughs> Welcome to Classical Etc. You're in the studio with Memoria Press. Welcome to Classical Etc. Uh, my name is Paul Schaefer, and I'm here with Martin Cothran, Tanya Charlton, and special guest Mitchell Holly. <laughs> Today we are going to be talking about I'm not sure why Mitchell's name is funny, but we're going to roll with it. Um, today, we are going to talk about Greek, preferably Latin. <laughs> so much for a special guest. That's why, that's why you get a, a, a specialist on Greek on, so you can talk about Latin. That's correct. That's, right. that's correct. That's where we're headed. We'll see how it goes. And But before we get there- I'm going to crawl, crawl, uh, bring back every minute of this podcast to speaking about Greek. Okay. Well, let's try. <laughs> um, first of all, I have to say, I feel like I am parroting Shane. I have sat in that shit seat so many times, mm. the very words I'm using. But before we get there, I just feel like I'm parroting Shane. <laughs> well, Shane, you we are. miss you. Um, I am temporary host, by the way. This makes two in a row, but I'm making very clear this is temporary- we voted him temporary host. He got he got he got a lot of votes for temporary and a fewer less votes for host. <laughs> yes, I, and, and I voted against myself as permanent host. There was gonna, one thing that was clear: it must not be permanent. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to keep reiterating this to make sure I don't become the permanent host. So, um, but we need to start with uh, what are we reading, Mitchell? We're going to put you on the spot. What are you reading now? In English. Uh, in English. Um, actually funny enough, um, I'm about halfway through this book on, um, uh, the metaphysics of participation. <laughs> okay. We're all, I mean, what do you say? What, what do you, okay. Who invited him on the show? Uh, What's yeah. the title of the book? Is it? It's called participation and uh, like metaphysics in Christian theology or something, um, uh, is the subtitle. And it was written by a guy at Oxford and, um, it's been a joy so far, a little bit derivative, I'd say of past scholarship, but it sounds like a lot of fun. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> well, participation probably... is a very important metaphysical concept and it's not, what does it mean? Participation. Yeah. Well, it's as a core of sort of metaphysics, uh, things exist. How, by what cause do they exist? God created them. Well, that's the Sunday school answer and it's Thank not too you. far from the truth, but, uh, that, and you had to read a whole book to figure that out. You're right. I shouldn't say it anymore. I, I wanna, uh, when, when you, uh, say that this book was, what'd you say? Enjoyable, a delight, yeah. a joy. Were, were you, said. were you participating in that, which is joy? Yeah. And that's, that, that's what made that book delightful. Yeah. There's a lot of ways you could talk about participation. You're using it in one particular way as sort of like co-existing at one time. Like does joy exist at the time when I'm reading it? Right. But there's probably other more substantial ways we'd want to talk about <clears throat> participation, but we could, you know, we could do that. Maybe the next one that you'd host temporarily. <laughs> So and on to better topics. Tanya, what are you reading? Well, mine's not better because it's the same as it was the past two times. But I am coming in on the end of David Copperfield. I've got less than 100 pages left. And then I'm going to read Demon Copperhead and see if Bar Barbara King Solver actually pulled it off. She used David Copperfield as the model for her Demon Copperhead book. And I just wanted to see. And of course, War and Peace. Now... We're going to meet tonight, our first first volume of War and Peace discussion. That's a commitment. And then I've got to pick that up again and read volume two. So that'll be what I do after David Copperfield. So again, 
Next week's going to be boring also because it's going to be war and peace. <laughs> it's a love story. I'm just bouncing back and forth. Well, there's so much war that is just so boring. Not much peace. If I could skip the war and just do the peace, but you kind of need you need pieces of the war because you need what it what the characters how they interact with the war and who they are. But I don't need all the strategy and the you know all that detail. I can really do without, but maybe I'll get a new appreciation for war, but I doubt it. I will say that the last time I read War and Peace, I knew it took me a hundred pages to get hooked. Well, that hundred pages was the great part. And I got, I, well, no, it took me it, like page 75. I'm still struggling. Uh, and once, But once I got to page a hundred. That's when the war starts. That's when the war starts. And that's when I got hooked. And so I am hooked now. I'm I'm I started loving it. I'm I'm ready to roll. Okay. Um but I'm also listening because of this podcast to uh The River of Doubt that Tara said she was reading about Theo, Theodore Roosevelt's trip to yes. the Amazon. Yes. Phenomenal. That's what she said. But I would say don't read it if you uh have a queasy stomach because it's it's a very hard journey, and the author doesn't Ew. hold anything back. So just be forewarned. But it's very good. I mean, great history. Mm-hmm. Yes, but that tells me something about Tara. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it does. Uh, Martin, what are you reading? Well, <clears throat> um, I mentioned several weeks ago that I had started reading The Red and the Black by Stendhal. And I reminded you last week that you were reading it and never even mentioned it. Well... Yeah, I don't necessarily need to mention it every week, but I did. <laughs> I had I w- went on a trip and a road trip, and so I I got uh, a, a little bit more of the book done, and it's so I it's 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 clearing up um, uh, some of the things the book is about, and w- one of the things I notice about it is this is happening in the middle of the nineteenth century, and the Meaning it was written in the middle of nineteenth century. Uh, the events are occurring, and I think it is. Uh, I think Stendhal writes that okay. pretty early. So, um, it, what what really hits me with that uh, is that the the protagonist is very taken with Napoleon still, and it just it it made me realize because the, the shadow of Napoleon mm. for 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 uh, a couple hundred years, really, really well into the to the twentieth century. Mm-hmm. This 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 character just dominates the thought of people, in particularly in Europe. It's really interesting, and it dominates the the thought of this this one character. But you know, Na- Napoleon comes. He's he's not he's not nobility. He's not an aristocrat. He's an, he's just a you know a, a, a short little man. A short little man. <laughs> um, and he yeah, I mean, he's got all kinds of things that would you think would go against it, but he comes out and he asserts himself. On Europe, and so this whole is so modern that 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 people admire this guy who asserted his individuality over everybody else. That's not a classical concept, I don't think. Mm. And so, um, you know, people were much more a part of their cultures and their governments and their time. Whereas Napoleon sort of goes against against it all, and it just it it's just the novel is kind of dominated by that presence mm-hmm. of Napoleon and it's very interesting. So it's good. Oh yeah. Well it's yeah it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. But I mean it's French. So you know there's an affair and <laughs> uh but you know you know in the midst of all you do get these other uh, interesting things. How long is this book? Well part one 
which is what I'm getting, getting near the end to, uh, is about uh, <coughs> uh, ten hours of a read. So it's, it's a it's a you know it's okay. not a it's not War and Peace, but it's right. A larger book. Okay. Ooh. What is War and Peace? <laughs> it's the biggest little. book, and it's just so physically big. Mm-hmm. There are so many words before you can turn a page. Well, and Napoleon plays a part in Massive War part. and Peace. Oh, Massive yes. Part in, oh, in goodness, and yes. And in, in, in Tolstoy's theory that, that the results of a battle are almost just chance. It's, it, he has this weird mm. theory about war that it, it's just a— just depends on the position of the stars that day. I may right. have to push back on that because I thought he's fairly determinist. Just what I recall from reading it 10, 15 years ago was that not that it's, well, it's, it, it's, it it's, could still be determinist, but not be determined by a great figure like Napoleon. That's right. That's right. It's not the human individuals that are making this, these choices, mm-hmm. but that, but that it's kind of been defined based on all the human choices that are going to be defined, how that's, and and how, how one little out. accidental event could change the course of the whole thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The butterfly effect. Is yes. that what they call that? Well, sort of. Yeah. That's related. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're reading War and Peace. I am reading War and Peace. And and uh, Roosevelt. And Roosevelt. And there was another book I was, well, I'm, I'm still trying to get time to read. Oh, Kentucky. Um, and I feel like there's something else, but. You know, we'll see. Maybe. But I, I listen to stuff. It's hunting season. So I, mm. I listen while I sit out in the woods. When I'm not texting you to get technical help. When you're not texting me to get technical help. And <laughs> that happens a lot when he's in the woods. It's <laughs> a lot of times in the woods. So. Darn cell coverage. Like, I just wish I could be out there by myself. Oh, <laughs> Tanya comes with me get, via my phone. Get the service that I had just. Uh, recently, yes, <laughs> don't be a problem you'll, anymore. You'll, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you'll never be reachable. No. <laughs> All right, let's let's get on to our topic here, Mitchell. You, I have this vague recollection of your study of Greek as a child. Yes, was actually interesting to me. Okay, can we? I, Is this I think like five years old, or yes, uh, I started right? studying Greek when I was in eighth grade. So I don't really remember how old I was mm. in eighth grade, but you could do the math. And, and what Google, prompted you to Googling. do this? Um, it, it, it was the choice between that and Spanish. And I thought, like, Spanish, that seems lame. And my parents were like, you know, maybe Greek would be good. So Greek. And the very first year I took Greek, um, I had a professor who we didn't learn anything but morphology. Which is? Um Great question. It is the study of how uh, words change their spelling. It's it's grammar. Mm. <laughs> okay. It's how words change their spelling. So like the difference between- Is it the um, declensions and the conjugations? Yeah, no, it wasn't really even that, honestly. Oh, it you was, didn't even do that? No, it was like at, at, under what, cir- what circumstances does an Omicron change into, change into a diphthong? Oh, Golly, that sounds uh, awful. Why, did, why <laughs> did you continue on? Well, good question. <laughs> because at that point, I needed to keep taking Greek because I had missed that entry point into Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. And so, yeah, that was eighth and ninth and then all the way through senior year. But and you then, only had to have two years of a language, right? But uh, you continued it after the second year. Were you I believe in my school is pretty traditional to to, oh, to go all to, the way to, to start in eighth grade mm-hmm. and then go up through at least tenth with the option. That's of good, you know, yeah. because There's you can't really in New England, so you can't learn things in two years. Two years. A language, yeah. especially, yeah. is not enough. So good for well, your they, school. They nixed the Latin program just before that, so they the got rid of Yeah, but my it was a, loosely connected to a 
to a Christian education and so or to a church, and so they they kept the Greek because like we we got to teach our kids how to how to learn Greek. But then the mm-hmm. professor was like this old school grammarian who started off as I described uh, <laughs> teaching how words change their spelling, um, which is a very very old school approach that should never be used. Um, old school is not in like a good sense of the old school, not like a traditional methodology, but like sort of became popular at sort of the turn of the century. Um, when you start at the very beginning structures of learning a language and work your way up to grammar, we didn't even get to grammar. So, so in that first year, um, how many, do you have a recollection of like how many hours a week you spend on this? Uh, well, uh, it got more, uh, because that, that first year I was like pretty out, out tuned out. No, but I mean the class time. Last time, do you know how many like how many classes oh, a week did um, you have? I believe it was three, at least three days a week. Okay, mm-hmm. and at the end of senior year, what were you able to read or use in uh, Homer? Yeah, we read Homer all the way. No, 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 we just, read just sections. But of still, Homer. that's that's, that's impressive. Good. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, there's also you know a few of the uh, tragedies that we. Jumped mm-hmm. off of quickly. little pieces oh, of um, pieces of yeah, and then some of the easier dialogues like Plato and things. Why are we taking this trip down memory lane? Well, you know, I feel like it's important. <laughs> temporary host. Uh, you know, well, and I should we also say one of the things I thought you well, the Greek <laughs> that we're about to talk about. Well, and I, I it's also helpful to realize that I, I went through the grammar three times. And I, maybe that was the point you were. Um, I did not know that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, if you'd been a permanent host. <laughs> yeah, I, I ended up having to go through the grammar th- on three separate occasions. You know, and, and on the course. So I, I, I guess in like my Greek education, it was probably 14, 15 years of Greek education. Oh, so you hold on. You left out. A part. So from eighth grade through senior year. And then I, I took Greek every year in college, every semester. Um. And then I, so yeah, it was my minor. So I had to, I had to take it every single semester, my entire college. And then, you know, a master, then two master's programs. Right. So over 15, 14 years ish of education, um, I took Greek. Maybe I haven't been giving you credit enough for knowing Greek. Yeah, that's why we're here today. <laughs> and and now I don't feel bad about not asking about literature or history or philosophy because you spent your entire life learning Greek. Um, that, that well, and is, I've been through the grammar three times and, yeah. and that's right. not necessarily be, like a, to my credit. It's because I, I, because of different forces, the forces in the course of education, I had to start back at the very beginning of the grammar three times. Mm. And so I've been, I had to start from like day one, three different times over the course of that. So what has learning Greek done for you? That was going to be my question. <laughs> I mean, you can be temporary host next yeah, time. I mean, it just uh, bounce it around. Well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> where, where, I mean, where to start? I mean, it's fundamentally changed who I am as a person. I That's start, not a stretch. Not, I wouldn't say that it's a stretch at all. I mean, like fundamentally changed how I view the world. I purely view the world in terms of like Greek participles. Greek participles. <laughs> okay, that needs explanation. <laughs> I mean, the, the, sort of the mountain. Well, so like in just terms of like world, like how I approach the world and view the world and see myself in it, Greek participles. But then like in terms of employment, I got a job um, once uh, writing a Greek textbook. He did. Tanya, yeah. even though I spelled her name wrong in the email where I accepted the role. That's correct. Um, I did not then say you're fired 
before you even come to work. But, but I'm sure you came close. To That's absolutely. A, a, I mean, come on. <laughs> one strike, you're out. Especially in you. a publishing company where things yeah, need to be spelled. Right. To be fair, Tommy can be spelled a, multiple different multiple ways. So. He could have been a temporary tech. Yes, writer. but when I offered you the job, I did sign my name. That's And well, it was spelled correctly. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Glad so, you can spell your name correctly, Tanya. That's so, right. So this, this viewing the world in terms of participles. Yeah. What what exactly does this? So when involve? you learn Greek, you learn that the like highest achievement of the Greek student is to understand the participle. It's like the Mount Everest of the Greek language because the participle, or maybe the Parnassus. Sorry, it's like yeah, going. it's like climbing Mount Parnassus. Before you continue, what is a participle? So a, a participle is a, is a verbal adjective, like, right? So like, as an example, um, I In love English. I love running. Running, running would be a participle. Mm, that would be a running. gerund in English. Right. English has this dumb thing called a gerund. <laughs> so, and and I'm, I, I'm trying to help you understand a little bit. Okay. But Greek doesn't have gerunds. They have participles. Okay. Okay. But, but, Can we have a participle example then? A participle. Uh, uh, the, in English, there's this interesting distinction between what a gerund is and what a participle is. Well, a gerund is, and they is have a different verbal functions. noun, and a participle is a verbal adjective. Okay, so uh, give me an example. So, so a gerund, um, uh, I love running, right? That's just your direct object. Mm -hmm, right. Um, but then if we were to say, um, I, let me think about this while, while uh, I broke my leg while walking the dog. Okay. So does that, does walking the dog. Walking would be a verb. In that sense. While I was walking the dog. No, walking the dog. The, the running man. He, he, the running man. Thank <laughs> you. That's all I needed. The running man. So that's, your, that's, your that's distinction the between fell down. modifies the noun. Gosh, right. you all are so really impressing me here. Your distinction between um, a gerund and a participle is is uh, the uh, Greek participle is both of those things at the same time. Well, that's confusing. I feel like in that case, English is probably more clear than no, Greek. No, because think about it. Running is the same word. It's just it, you're, you're using two different words to describe how it's functioning in the sentence. So you're not actually describing what it is whenever you call something a gerund. You're actually describing what its function is. And that's stupid because you should always just, you should always start with what is a thing and then ask is what that its a, function is. That is. A Greek, yes. is that a peculiarly Greek thought right there? <laughs> no, that's just a, that's just being uh, clear. Actually, I was going to point out actually that's probably why the Greeks were more philosophical in nature is because their question is what is the thing? What is the thing? First, yeah, you ask what is this. thing. It's a verbal adjective, and sometimes adjectives can functions like nouns. Okay, the I love the good. The good is an adjective, but it's functioning like a noun. Okay. So all adjectives we know can function like nouns. We don't then call that good something else because it's functioning like a noun in that sentence. So why in the world adjective. do we have, it's a substantive <laughs> adjective. That's right. But it's still an adjective. So why do we need to come up with a different word when a participle is functioning like an adjective instead of a noun? Do you think people are still listening? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Back to the, you said, you said that we, this was all in service of, of the question. Uh, really? How did this change you? Yes, because a participle, um, one of the things that makes participles so difficult to learn in Greek is that it, 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 it can mean so many things. There's so many dependent clauses in Greek. And, you know, like we have a lot of dependent clauses, like after I came in here, then I did something. So we have a temporal clause like like that starts with like after mm -hmm. or while I came in here, I was doing something. So both of those are temporal clauses, but they are 
set off by some sort of dependent clause. Well, mm-hmm. in in Greek, you have all of those like after, while, expressing time or manner or, or purpose or, or cause. Um, you have words that, that set those clauses apart, but you also have the participle that doesn't require any of those things. The participle holds in, in itself all of those meanings. And it only by a mere sort of like trick of how it's used in a sentence can you distinguish any one of those meanings. I don't think you've answered his question. I was going to re-ask it again. The point I'm trying to um, make is that present in the participle is a sort of a, a wealth of potential possibilities. In order to understand the participle, you have to understand the intricate way that an author might use it because it could mean anything. But it how does that change your life? It, well, it changed how I viewed, how I viewed the world because there are certain categories that help you as sort of a new Greek learner uh, understand how a Greek author is using it, right? So we, we think of all these circumstantial uses of participles. So like basically time, manner, cause, it broadened um, your mind. Yeah. It, and it gave them categories, buckets to put stuff in. That's right. Is what you're that's right. At. There's I all feel these like circumstantial Latin does the same ideas. thing. That's that, well, mm-hmm. that's true, but Latin has gerunds, and we, we know how I feel about that. I'm going to get rid of all my gerunds when I go home. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It provided a taxonomy to view the world. Yeah, back, back to the temporary host here because I tried and you see what happened there. <laughs> well, just like I mean, I, you're right in one sense, it, you know, it provides a lens through which to see the world. And I see all the circumstantial ways that events can relate to one another fall into one of the categories that I had to acquire in order to learn how to translate the participle. So it sure. enabled you to see the world better. Yes. Think, why did you say that? <laughs> I think, I think th- it does bring up a good point, right? That like this sort of detailed uh, linguistic study that's, that's in a very different uh, linguistic pattern than English is, right? Like you can study French or Spanish and those have very similar linguistic patterns to English, but you study something like Greek or Latin and you, ha- you have to understand um, you know, how the verb, the tense of the verb relates to the, the, the tense in the, in the subordinate clause. Mm-hmm. You have to understand, um, you know, uh, how, how cases function and, and that the genitive can have these 17 different uses. Right. Right. And in order to actually understand all the nuances of what's being said. So it really trains the, it student, the mind to see. Yeah. Yeah. The student's mind in a very specific way. Let's so, use an analogy. Since Martin likes analogies, uh, in the world in science, right? You have this af- effect, this function, this uh, yeah, this af- really this this uh, effect called parallax, right? Where you see the same object from like your eyes have parallax, right? You see the same object from two different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Like if you only had one eye and you saw an object, you wouldn't be able to tell its depth. Whereas if you have two eyes and you're seeing the same object from two different perspectives at the same time, you can tell how close and how far away it is. So in order to see an object for what it truly is, where it truly is, how it, where it is, where it's placed in the world, 
you have to have two perspectives on it, at least two perspectives. We use this uh, in astronomy all the time uh, where we want to find out how far away a star is. We look at that star from at one point in our rotation and at another point, and we look at that same object and through trigonometry, we are able to figure out how far away that star is. So you can only know anything really about that, where it is in the world by having two perspectives on it. That's, so now you have an English perspective and a Greek perspective. That's right. Yeah. So if you yeah. only speak your own native language, you're you're not you're seeing, seeing it with one dimensionally. Yeah. You're seeing right. it with one eye. You don't yeah. really see the, the fullness of it, right? Um, so that so that every language um, is is expresses a different way of viewing the world, and so that when you learn an additional language, you are learning an additional way of viewing the world that allows you to see it in in uh, in better yeah with a three-dimensionally yeah. yeah do you remember why cheryl she would always say you have to do latin and greek if you can get to it what so latin for her was should be the number one classical language is it only because it was easier for younger students because of the alphabet well and there are, there are i think educational advantages to, to Latin. Latin, but Greek also. Sure. But I mean, it's, it is more straightforward. Um, it, it, it teaches you a kind of mental order. It teaches you your own grammar. I mean, you can do that in other languages too, but there's a Greek seems very different from Latin to me. Well, uh, I think, you know, even, I, I think one thing that's helpful for young kids is just the fact that most of our vocabulary comes like right from Latin yeah, right. now. And that's true for most just everyday vocabulary, right? But that is n certainly not the case uh, when it comes to scientific language. Right. So, uh, baloney. No, absolutely. I mean, the only the only science would that like would maybe be able to like push back on what I've just said um, is law, biology. No, absolutely not. Biology. I mean, How bios, do you logos. I I get that, <laughs> yeah, but no, like all the species Greek, names yeah. are in Latin. Uh, yeah, well. Yes, they are. That that is true. Okay, but <laughs> but but think about all the um the like for example like how uh, all the different types of of um of inflation or not inflation that's <laughs> economics oikonomia which is also a Greek word. Uh, <laughs> um, he comes fully armed. Yeah, th think about all the different kinds of um of um, infection that uh, that biological life can have. Every single word for infection comes from a Greek word. Infection. Yes. As in, uh, can you give me an example? The flu, influenza. Think about like inflect in, uh, in uh, um, what's the uh, tuberculosis? That's not. That's not. <laughs> Wait, it ends in cis. That, is, that, that, that would be Greek, Greek wouldn't, wouldn't it? it? Tuberculosis. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it come from? Well, yeah, that word does come from, but it's not. An, uh, infection. an infection. Oh, oh okay. So, but all the words like the infection. What's the inf type? The word for the infection around the heart muscle. I don't know. Now I can't think of any of these words, okay. but they all end in all the right. same Greek but word. Let's, so I could say it pretty dogmatically. Okay. Um, I tried to help you and you, you rejected all of my infections. Well, there you go. We'll go with that one. It's not an infection. <laughs> I, I, I do. I, I mean, I, I, I think, I mean, back to this original question of like, why would, why did Cheryl kind of put Greek second? Um, and, and I mean, you said easier. I mean, right. We're dealing with the same alphabet in Latin, I think we also have to deal with the um, the aspect that oh, uh, 
the large majority of Western works that we have that are excellent. I mean, we have some Greek, but we have a whole lot more in Latin if we're going to the original um, things. And Martin Martin alluded to the the order in Latin mm-hmm. and the you, simplicity. Have you, you have you studied usually, Latin a little bit? Yeah, you usually okay. study the the simpler, more straightforward thing before you study the more complex. Yes, uh, and and Greek Greek has a whole slew of like exceptions and and yeah. things a whole lot more than latin does yeah like english well yeah it's a lot it's a lot more like english. whereas the romans really like beat their language into like following particular patterns and rules they did or maybe not like they were exceptions. a people of patterns and rules well, and their they, language took, reflected they, they that. took like the beautiful richness of like the etruscans and then they like beat that into like a standard form i would say or <laughs> or it is a reflection of their their Society. I do want to push back against one thing you said that there's more lang- there's more literature in Latin than there is in Greek, and that's 100 percent not true. It 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 is the case that if you He's factor very in passionate. if mm-hmm. you factor in medieval Latin, um, it, so the, the then yes maybe okay, but if you factor in like the the golden age of Gre- of Latin versus like the golden oh. age of Greek. There, which is sort of the Hellenistic period, the, the attic, yeah, and then but Hellenistic period. You can't period. cut out the Middle Ages and throw them out and say those don't well, that's mean not, anything. Uh, that's not original Latin speakers. The, those are people who are, you know, English, Latin is their second language, and and it has it, the the grammar has been watered down a bit. The vocabulary is much different. It's not the elevated prose of Cicero. I'm appalled. <laughs> so, but if you, but you know, if you're trying to treat like the years, like when were like like speakers of Latin and speakers of Greek, sh- when were they writing? Who wrote the most literature? By far, hands down, triple sure, amount. Sure, you know, by like a factor of X of like X, uh, factor yes, of like five but, X. But our 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 culture, the Western world that that or Western civilization that we're um, promoting. Uh, <laughs> engaging, giving in. to one student at a time. I was trying to come up oh, with, come up well, with a slogan. Yeah, I, I think is, yeah. is 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 one in which you know the yeah all of those Greek works are so worthwhile um, to be able to read in the original, but um, insofar as like the thought of Western civilization it, it um, in the West mm-hmm. was is traced. In Latin, yeah, translated through the Romans. I, I understand that. That that's absolutely true. The Romans got most of the co- cool things from the Greeks. Uh, uh, true. And to this day, we I, I mean, every student speaks in Greek. Historia. It's a Greek word meaning inquiry. Every every student speaks History. in Greek. Okay, uh, Democratia. Democracy. <laughs> yeah, we can do the same thing <laughs> yeah, in Latin. Yeah. We can do the exact same thing with Latin. I'm just saying the reason why the Romans abandoned the idea of democracy and moved towards a more representative sort of balance of power sort of situation until uh, until they didn't um, (laughs) um, was was because they they went to the deep well of the Greeks who had sort of already parsed out and and with their language, Mm -hmm. everything. Sure. Tragedy, poetry, rhetoric, political philosophy, uh, philosophy in general. They, and when, they mined it that well. And when the Romans militarily conquered Greece, <laughs> they used they they were conquered by the Greeks culturally in many ways. Mm-hmm. And they they sent their kids to boarding schools in Greece or had a Greek slave teaching their children because they recognized he's he's right. Mm-hmm. They recognized that the Greek culture was superior to their own, mm-hmm. and they wanted to learn from it. Just and you were talking about war and peace. It's same thing with with the way that the Russians view the French. Mm-hmm. French is mm-hmm. a superior culture, and it, and just like in 
in Rush, Imperial Russia, where they they spoke often aristocratic families spoke Greek in their home or French, French. in their home. Mm-hmm. The Roman families would speak Greek in their homes, and yeah, so Cicero they, received a Greek <clears throat> education. He so wrote the judgment of the Romans is that the Greeks were the superior culture. Isn't that true? Yeah, I mean, Cicero writes in a deficia, deficiest on duties. Right, he he spends a long time commenting on the Greek authors. Um, he spends a long time trying to identify particular words that are hard to translate into Latin, and and he sort of fleshes them out and tries to bring greater clarity to them because he was going to then use them in his rhetoric uh, on the political stage. And and when Virgil writes the Aeneid, he's he's got the Iliad and the Odyssey. Oh, is that he's yeah. riffing yeah. off of Homer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, and I said riffing, not ripping. He's <laughs> riffing off Homer. Yeah, Vir- Virgil realized that if if Rome was going to be great at all, it had to have. Uh, something as powerful as that mirrored um, mm-hmm. Homer. And so he he picked up right where Homer left off. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what we are saying here then is that it is it would be uh, the ideal in an education would be both Latin and Greek. Well, I think there's something you said early on about just the fact that just practically speaking, what is the best preparation for the superior study of Greek? <laughs> And, and it that would is be Latin. Latin. Latin is the best preparation Latin for the study of Greek. It, it, yeah, it really is, and really, that's how it should be. How it should be viewed, yeah. um, because uh, it, it, students just—I mean, the voc- the the vocabulary is one thing, the morphology is another, but the grammar is an, another thing. Uh, the participles even. Well, it's <laughs> like yeah. like we can do. We tell students they can they can get to first form Latin mm-hmm. in the fourth grade, mm-hmm. but we want them to wait till the seventh to do first right. form Greek because it is that much more difficult. Because yes. you can learn all the terms and grammatical procedures mm-hmm. in 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 Latin, which it's simpler simpler to do that. Mm-hmm. And then having those under your belt, it's much easier, I would think, to tackle Greek. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Some of the biggest challenges for for me, we're just understanding what a case system was. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Understanding because it's so foreign right. for me. And if you had studied Latin from fourth grade, it would have been yeah. easy for you. Or anyway. second oh, grade. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I will say um, when I was in high school, Latin, Greek, and Spanish were all required. Mm. And what was interesting to me was, I mean, I had, I had studied Latin from third grade. So Latin was was relatively easy at that point. But, and, and, I, and I loved like I, I just found it easier, um, and I had I had a confidence in it. And so then when I hit Greek, like I was like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. But I had I had classmates that were like, Greek is way easier than Latin, hmm. and I I still I still doesn't compute for me. But it did. It was interesting to me that certain people find one or the hmm. other hmm. to be easier. Um, I don't know, you know. Was it after they had had Latin? They, we did Latin for two years, seventh and eighth grade, and then in ninth grade, Greek was added. So, so maybe just Latin at, in seventh grade felt overwhelming, mm-hmm. but Greek in ninth didn't because they already, they already understood language, like, right? Yeah, if they had learned yeah. it in seventh grade, then they might not have said that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to this point about parallax, though, and and just the ability to see uh, things from different uh, uh, different angles. I'm wondering why I'm even here. I, well, science. Well, well, he mentioned parallax as an analogy, I, and I, I felt wondered like, that for a long time. <laughs> I, I, I felt like analogies ought to be clearer to the uh, to the to the audience than 
the thing you're talking about. And I felt like this whole parallax thing <laughs> was even less known to me than Latin and Greek. Well, you have two eyes and you need both of them. Yes. Yeah, but who then talks about on the phenomena of parallax? Okay, so what more is there to say about well, that? I, well, clearly, I've a, said enough. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Done. I, I didn't there quick. <laughs> <laughs> They're looking at me like the temporary host is supposed to do something. Yes, because hurry before he opens his mouth again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think the, the, the point would be nice to end on this point that the that. Having a second language, particularly Latin or Greek, does give you a perspective of the world that is different than just your own native tongue. Yeah. Yeah. With that, come join us next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to check out all the other shows on the Memoria Press Podcast Network. This has been Classical Etc. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you again soon. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.